0: Good morning Westside today we're going to be in the book of Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 15 say amen when you're there please okay for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions This is the Word of the Lord. You are here today. Doesn't the place look beautiful today, man? Absolutely. Thank you so much for all the volunteers who came out last week and decorated. And this is just an incredible time um, of the year. Uh, before we dive in, I just want to remind you, next week on December 5th, we are going to be having our kids' side program. And so they have been working hard at memorizing Bible verses, um, singing their songs, doing all of that stuff. So week. That's going to go down. It's going to be incredible. Moms and dads, you guys can get pictures. Please come prepared for that. Listen, we always say this. um, The KidSide program is not some cute thing that we look at and smile and go, oh, look at how those kids are so cute. The point of it is, is that these kids are learning theology. They are learning God's Word. They're memorizing Bible verses. They know what Emmanuel means. And so this is a moment for them to teach us what they are learning back there. So please have that on your calendar and be prepared for that. As you can see, we are in the Advent season. And maybe you didn't grow up in church, maybe you did grow up in church and don't really know what any of this means. I always love this time of year as we sort of pause and reflect on what all of this really means. And so just from a basic level, what I want to do today is introduce what Advent is, what our topic is, and then what that passage of Scripture has for us. But the word Advent um, literally means the arrival of. And it comes from the Greek word parousia. Can you turn to your neighbor and say parousia? You just got to get that, roll that R in there, right? thats I don't know what that would be in southeast Missouri, parousia, or something like that. I don't know. But it is a Bible word, and it is a word that means the arrival of. And I teach this every year. There's really three main things that we do for Advent. Now, Advent... Is not Christmas time, okay? And I'll get a little bit militant about this, all right? Because in the church calendar, what Advent is, is the season that prepares us for Christmas. So on December 25th, that begins the Christmas season and the feast and the celebrating. But what Advent is, it is the four weeks leading up to the Christmas time that allows us to anticipate and reflect on the coming of Jesus Christ. And we do that really three main ways. Um, Advent means the first one is this. We look back to see what God has done. So we read those passages together, those Old Testament prophecies that God was going to send the Savior, the Messiah, to come and make things right. This prince of peace, this king, this ruler who's going to bring justice and peace. We look back on those promises. But we also look around during this season to see what God is doing. This is a good spot for an amen. One of the things that we believe at Westside is that God is always present and at work. Amen. Amen. God is always present and at work. And what this season does is it heightens our awareness to look around and see what God is doing. But it's not just that. We don't just look back and look around we also look forward to what God will do. You see, um, we are also in an advent. And so when we look back on the Old Testament and we see those prophets like Jeremiah prophesy with such angst and and anticipation that, that the Messiah is going to come, we relate to those prophets because we ourselves are waiting on Jesus' second advent. Hey, this is some good news. Right up front at the beginning of the sermon, and it's another good spot for an amen, so you're in the sermon a lot today. Here's some good news. Jesus is coming back again. That's like a really big deal, right? I mean, it's a really big deal. And what we do this time of year is we build up that anticipation for His second advent. But what I really love about the advent season is Advent is particularly Christian. And here's what I mean by that. This time of year, um, the culture sort of hijacks our thing, okay? Um, And it kind of makes me a little bit angry. But it's really cheesy, and it's packaged by Hallmark, and it's all of this best time of the year, and it's really consumerism and all of that. But listen, what we understand through church history is that this time of year is the darkest. It's the coldest. The leaves are falling off the tree. What we see around us looks like death. Everything tends to be dying. The garden, the flowers, all of those things. And then the church. The church in the midst of the cold, dark, decay of the world has a house filled with lights we sing, we are joyful, we light a candle each week, and each candle brings more and more light. And then on Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle, and then from that candle, we light all of our candles, and this dark room fills up with beautiful light symbolizing this, that the church is the light in the midst of a dark and broken world. Really what Advent does, Advent stands in opposition of the culture. When we see all of the brokenness, all of the despair and all of the chaos, the church stands tall and says, no, no, it is not always going to be this way because God is coming again. One of my favorite authors is a lady by the name of Fleming Rutledge. And Fleming Rutledge specializes in writing Advent devotionals and books on Advent. And one of the things that she says in her book, A Means of Grace, is this. Please listen to this quote. The church lives in Advent. That is to say, the church lives between two Advents. You see, Jesus Christ has come. And Jesus Christ will come again. We don't know the day or the hour. And if you find this tension almost unbearable at times, then you understand the Christian life. We live at what the New Testament depicts as the turn of the ages. You see, in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is in a head-on collision with the powers of darkness. The point of impact is where Christians take their stand. That is why, at times, it hurts. That's why the church seems to be taking a beating. That is what the Scriptures tell us. No wonder, then, there are so many who fall away. You see, the church is located precisely where the battle line is drawn. It is the Advent clock that tells the church what time it is. The church that keeps Advent is the church that is most truly herself. The church is not supposed to be this prosperous, easygoing, comfortable establishment. You see, it is Advent. It is dark. And lonely and cold, and the master seems to be away from home. But Advent tells us that he's on his way, so keep awake. Oh man, that's good stuff. That's what this season represents. And it's almost like an angst in our bones. And historically, Advent begins um, four Sundays um, before that Christmas day. And historically, what we have seen through the church is that each week represents a theme or a topic when we light those candles. So from hope, love, joy, and peace, each one of these topics lead us To Jesus' birthday, his arrival, God in the flesh, that the author of the universe has written himself into the story and now comes and walks amongst us. So that's what Advent is. And today, our theme is hope. As you had that reading and as we lit the hope candle. Um, I love that we have each one of these topics that lead us to Advent because each one of these words are so important and I believe they are grossly misunderstood, especially the word hope. Um, I mean, hope is just grossly misunderstood. I even think about like my kids asking for something like, um, you know, I hope I get some candy. And then, you know, maybe mom or dad will say maybe. And then Piper Graham always says, ooh, maybe means yes. Maybe means yes. So anytime dad says maybe, that really means yes, right? And maybe get some candy. But I think we need to clarify what hope isn't before we define what it is. Um, Hope is not a wishful maybe, like I said. Um, You know, I think oftentimes we say, you know, um, I hope I make it there, or I hope my packages come in time. I hope, and really what that is, is that's like a limbo statement. It's like, I I don't have any confidence, I'm not really sure, but I just sort of have this positivity maybe about the situation, and it's really a wishful maybe. That's not what hope is. Or the second thing, um, hope is not a cheesy motivator. Okay, so it's not like you've just snapped your leg or the bank account's at zero or the doctor's report is this or this is going on in your family. And then we do what I call the Christianese thing where we sort of just grunt our teeth and go, look, God is good all the time, right? You know, I have hope in the Lord, right? You're getting ready to kill somebody or something like that. It's not just this cheesy motivator that denies real reality. And the third thing that hope is not is this. Hope is not a magic medicine, okay? Hope is not this um, denying of reality. But then at the same time, if we just sprinkle some Bible verses on it, everything's going to be okay because I want to avoid pain and I want to avoid heartache. Um, You see, I think a lot of us, a lot of us have learned to not hope anymore. Because I think a lot of us have hoped, and those hopes have not come true. And so now when we say the word hope, there's pain and there's heartache. Hope is a very scary thing. But what is it really? If that's what it's not, what is it? Well, the word hope is actually used 164 times in the Bible. Uh, For the two of you who care, this is what it looks like in the original language. And actually, um, our passage today says the phrase, a blessed hope, and it's the word alypis. That's what the word hope is. But what does it really mean? Well, it's used a number of ways in the New Testament, and I wanted to pull just sort of three key verses to show you what hope is. Um, The Bible always puts another descriptor in front of hope to sort of dash our misunderstanding and to clarify it. The first thing that the Bible says that hope is is that our hope is living, um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, "...Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." Hope is not something that we did in the past or one time that we had this sort of understanding with God and we prayed and we had this hope and we claimed this promise. It's not something that's past tense. Hope is present. Hope is living. Hope is active. It is a living hope for every single day of our life. The second thing is this. Hope is an anchor Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. I mean, I love that description of hope. What does an anchor do for a boat? It makes it steady. It makes it sure that when the waves are crashing and the ocean is going crazy, I loved our call and response today. The waves of anxiety and despair. What a good description of our culture. But what biblical hope does is it prov- uh, it provides the steadiness, the faithfulness that all of us desire in our life. And then finally, the third one is right there in our passage. It is A blessing, hope is. It says it right there if you look in verse 13 in your Bibles. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen, I think through all of that, we can sort of formalize maybe a definition of what hope is. And I want this to be the thesis today. I want this definition of hope to be on our hearts and minds Biblical hope is the confident expectation that what God has said will happen. That's what hope is. Hope is always future-oriented. It is a confident expectation. Hey, listen, look up here. No more of the Christian, well, maybe... Well, maybe my prodigal son will return. Well, maybe my marriage will get... Well, No, 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 no. We have a God that spoke the cosmos into existence. And our God is batting a thousand on all of the promises that He's made. God has not failed a single promise. Every promise in the Scripture has either been fulfilled or is going to get fulfilled. It is a confident expectation that what God has said, you see, that's the key. What God has said will happen. That's what hope is. And, and, and maybe this will help. I really wanted us to, to get this in our bones today. Um, when you think of hope, I want you to think of a rope. When you think of hope, I want you to think of a rope. This is my son's um, lasso rope, and so my son is a cowboy, and so I guess God wanted to play a trick on me and give me a cowboy for his son, and it's awesome. He's a true cowboy. He loves it, but when you think of hope, I want you to think of a rope, okay, and, and I want you to think of hope as that thing that you're reaching on to guide you through life. Hope is the rope that guides us through life. So when the anxieties come, when the bottom drops out, when our expectations get shattered, when the doctor says, we need you to come in for more scans, you reach for something. When everything gets shaken, we reach for something to guide us. And in the biblical sense, that's what hope is supposed to be. Because listen, um, the question is not, do you have hope? That is not the question that the Bible answers. Um, Listen, I want to get really deep here today. The Bible does not ask the question, do you have hope? Everybody has hope. The Bible assumes that. The Bible knows that. And as a matter of fact, um, here are some verses where it says, example, the war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. What is the Bible saying there? Um, That if you put your hope in technology, human advancement, man-made strength, that's a false hope. That's not going to save you. The Bible in another place would say, put not your hope in princes. Translation for 2021. Put not your hope in presidents. And all of God's people said, Amen, right? <laughs> Amen, goodness gracious. But sure enough, every election cycle rolls around, and then we begin to kind of say, you know what? I think this one's gonna be a little bit different this go around, you know? Yeah, right, okay? Or how about this? Put not your trust in exhortation. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set your heart not on them. What's the Bible saying? Do not put your hope In money, the thing, hope is a rope that guides you through your life, that it's the thing that you reach for to pull on, that when you're down in the pit of despair, and listen, if it's in anything, money, other people, relationships, your performance, all of those things, that is a failure. The Bible does not ask the question, do you have hope? Wrong question. The Bible asks the question, what is your hope in? What is your hope in? Or, better question, what is your rope tied to? What is your rope tied to? What is your confident assurance in a life that the only thing that you can expect is the unexpected? You see, the Bible says not do you have hope, but what is your hope in? And look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. Go back to that verse. It says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in despair? Why do you not have hope? And then it says this, hope in God. Put your hope in God. Tie your rope to God and His promises which now leads us to our passage. You see now our passage begins to break down for us what our hope is actually tied to. If you look in chapter 2 verse 13 what Titus is is a letter written from the apostle Paul to this guy named Titus who's a church planner there in Ephesus. Big growing church, wealthy market center, agriculture, technology, all of that. Some scholars believe that the church in Ephesus was about ten to 15,000 Christians. And Paul is writing to Titus, the pastor, assuring him how to lead God's people. And look at what he says. We are waiting for our blessed hope. There it is. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, makes it very plain that our hope as Christians is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, this is the gospel message Maybe you've never heard the good news before, or maybe you grew up in church and you thought the good news was don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, really. Um, And don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, okay? You can't do any of that stuff, and if you do, God's out to get you, and you need to live a life of real good behavior and do this, maybe throw some money in the offering plate, serve like once a month in nursery or something like that, and not do bad stuff, and then make Maybe, maybe, maybe your hope is is that you can quote-unquote get into heaven at the end. I don't know about you, but that does not sound like good news to me. The good news of the Bible is the same God that created the world perfect. You see, the world right now is not what it was created to be. God created it perfect, and He created human beings in His own image and likeness. Did you know that? Did you know that you were created in the image and likeness of God? Did you know that you matter? Did you know that the God that created the oceans and the Rocky Mountains knows your name, loves you, and has a plan for your life? But our first parents, Adam and Eve, rather than worshiping God, wanted to be God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie that they could do it better and sin entered into the world and it fractured everything, even creation. That's why now we have floods and earthquakes, right? Where were you for that one, right? Okay. That's why all of this doesn't work right. And the whole Old Testament is a prophet standing up in the midst of the culture saying it's not supposed to be this way, but hang on, because God is sending someone. God is coming. And then the Gospels open. And God comes in the flesh as a baby, so vulnerable, the author writes himself into the story, lives a perfect life, in a rural town, does miracles, says the kingdom of God is at hand, then is murdered on a cross, lives the life we could not live, dies the death that we deserved, and three days later rose again symbolizing that God's love knows no bounds, that nothing is so dead that it can't be resurrected. This is the good news of the Bible. And the Bible says no matter who you are or where you're at or what you've done, no matter how bad you think you are or no matter how good, think you are. Everybody needs Jesus. And anybody can get Jesus by bowing the knee and saying, my life is not my own, but it is Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Listen, that changes lives. That's why West Side exists. We've seen people pass through those baptism waters. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen addictions broken. We've seen people cross from death to life because of the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. But the end of that story is that that same Jesus is coming back again to make every wrong right and to fix what is broken. As a matter of fact, um, the second coming of Jesus is talked about a lot In the Bible. Um, Here's some stats for you. People are often surprised to learn that references to the second coming outnumber references to the first coming by a factor of eight to one scholars have identified 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Christ's return is emphasized in no less than 17 books. And the New Testament authors speak of it in 23 out of the 27 books. The New Testament mentions His return 7 out of every 10 chapters. In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament proclaims that Jesus Christ is coming back to earth and Jesus Himself mentioned it 21 times from His own mouth. The Bible makes it very clear that our hope, that our rope that we use to guide us through life better be tied To the confident assurance that Jesus Christ will return again. But you see, I think a lot of us think that hope is about our grip on that rope. That, that hope really depends on us. And so, like, I've got to read the Bible, I've got to pray, I've got to do, I got a lot of stuff I gotta do in order for that hope to be true. But when I looked at these verses in Titus 2 this week, I was so taken back. There's there's really kind of a lopsided thing going on in these verses. Look at everything that God does, and then look at what we do. I mean, look at everything that God does in these verses in Titus chapter 2. It says this. Next slide. God um, comes to us. He appeared the first time. God saves us. Um, That's not enough. God actually trains us. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that trains us. You see, a lot of of us think that, that Jesus saved us, but isn't really too happy with us. Like yeah, I know God's saying God's the love of the world. He gave His only begotten Son. Like I remember that, but like God's not happy with me, Pastor Jason. Um, did you know that the same grace that saves you is the same grace that sustains you? We don't move beyond that. It's the same grace that then makes us holy. It's the love, what you love and pursue. God returns to us again. And then God gives Himself for us, and then God buys us back through His life. Listen, um, this is a one-way street, okay? And then there's a few things in the passage that says, like, live a godly life, and then verse 15. um, Declare these things. You see, a lot of us think that the Christian life is based on our performance. Oftentimes, I'll have a cup of coffee with people and I'll ask them how they're doing. Maybe if I don't know if they're a believer, I'll ask them, are you a Christian or are you a believer? And inevitably, sometimes I'll get this answer. I don't know. Maybe. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. See, listen, we have to understand something. And, and this is the sentence that I'm trying to say. Our hope is not in the fact that we are holding on to God. Please listen to me. If you think that your hope is about your grip on God and what you do, you live every day in some fear and anxiety and you wake up every day unassured, if that relationship is right or not. And so then it comes out in all sorts of ways. We're driving in the car, and we see the guy hitchhiking on the road, and we drive past him, and we're like, great, that was Jesus. (laughs) And when I get to heaven, he's going to say, remember on 67 North, I was on the side of the road, and you just drove by? You're going to hell, right? You're like, oh, right. You step on. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff like that. Didn't read my Bible today, great. If I get in a wreck on my way to church, or, you know, oh my goodness, all that, like... That's constant fear and constant anxiety. And I don't know about you, but when I read the New Testament, I don't see that as the Christian life. When I see Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God, I don't see Him describing that. I see Him describing a hope that is a confident assurance that what He has said will happen. So, if our hope is not on the fact that we are holding on to God and we have that end of the rope, and man, I've got to stay gripped on this thing. What is it in? What is it in? I think this illustration will help. Many of you might remember the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. When it came to the track and field's uh, performance, Britain's Derek Redman... Was a shoe in to win. I mean, like, he almost didn't even need to run the race. Everybody knew Derek Redmond is going to win this event. So they line up, the gun fires, and Derek Redmond takes off running. As he rounds the turn, you can watch this and look this up. Derek Redmond would later go back and tell Sports Illustrated he thought he heard a gunshot. What the gunshot was, was Derek Redmond's hamstring snapping in two and pulling away from the bone. Derek Redmond falls to the ground, but this guy is an Olympic athlete. Derek Redmond gets up again, tries to run, falls flat on his face again, tries to get up again, and falls again. It was so brutal to watch that the commentators said, this is difficult to see. Derek Redman is laying there on the track, crying out. His dreams shattered. No hope in that moment. No hope in that moment. His grip was gone from the rope. And then... Man in a Nike t-shirt jumps out of the stands and runs onto the track. Security guards try to block him, and he pushes them away. And this is what Sports Illustrated says. Redmond fought to his feet. It was animal instinct, he would later say. He set out hopping in a crazed attempt to finish the race. When he reached the stretch, a large man in a T-shirt came out of the stands, hurled aside the security guards and ran to Redmond, embracing him. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. "You don't have to do this, Bubba," he told his weeping son. Derek said through tears, "Yes, I do. "Well, then," Jim said. "We're finishing this race together." And they did, fighting off security men, the son's head sometimes buried in his father's shoulder. They stayed in Derek's lane all the way to the end as the crowd gasped, then rose and howled and wept. Derek didn't walk away with the gold medal that day, but he walked away with an incredible memory of a father who, when he saw his son in pain, left his seat. Got out of the stands and went to his son. What is Advent? What is Christmas? God leaves the stands of heaven where the angels sing day and night, holy, 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 and he sees his broken humanity and his broken creation writhing in pain and comes to them. Please listen to me. Hope is not about our grip on God. Our hope is in the fact that our heavenly Father is holding on to us. And what Jesus says is whom God holds, He keeps, and He never lets go. So today, all I offer you is good news. All I offer you today is hope. That if you came in today based on your performance, based on your positivity, based on your last name, based on anything else other than the fact that God is holding on to you through Christ... The good news is this, is that it doesn't depend on you. The good news is that Advent teaches us that it depends on God. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I just have one question in in, in closing today, and it's this. What is your hope in? What is your hope in? Maybe you find yourself this season and your hope through COVID and everything like that was, oh man, got to get the finances in order, need supplemental income, I need this, I need that. Maybe your hope is in your youth or your hope is in your job or your hope is in your last name or your hope is in money or your hope is in blah, 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 blah. Listen, at the end of the day, all of those will disappoint us. All of those. The only thing that can sustain us in life is holding on to the fact that God is holding on to you. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful for your good news. God, so grateful to know that when we don't have any hope, that when it really seems bad, like there's conflict, there's all, like it is just bad all the time, That the breath of fresh air is that it does not depend on how hard we're holding on to that rope. What it depends on is your grip on us. And what Calvary shows us What a blood-stained cross shows us is that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor nakedness, nor famine, nor suffering, no things present or things to come. Nothing can keep us from You because You left the stands of heaven. You fought off the world and You've chased each and every one of us down. God, today, I pray for the person who's so exhausted. They have tried this year to do the religion thing and mark off the box, and they are in constant fear and anxiety of their relationship with You. And today, the word that's spoken over their life is 1 John, fear not, little child. Fear not. For your father loves you and he has his grip on you. God, may we repent of the things that we have placed our confident assurance in. And may we place it in you today, Jesus. We pray all of these things in the precious, in the holy, in the perfect name of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand to your